0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: I think it's fair to say this is not
2: your typical election.
3: Have you always told the truth?
1: I've always tried to
3: when you're running for president, I think you have an obligation to be healthy.
2: <coughs> Every time I think about Trump, I get allergic.
3: I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. She does not have Secretary Clinton. Wait. Secretary Clinton.
2: Woo. Okay.
3: I understand the tax laws better than almost anyone, which is why I am one who can truly fix them. I understand it. I get it.
1: Here's my question. What kind of genius loses a billion dollars in a single year?
3: I gotta use some Tacs just in case this start kissing her.
1: He has said that the video doesn't represent who he is, but I think it's clear to anyone who heard it that it represents exactly who he is.
4: USA! USA! USA.
2: Uh Carolyn, that's your seat right there. I guess scoot in just a bit. Carolyn, will you tell run-up listeners who you are?
4: I'm Carolyn Ryan. I'm the senior editor for politics at the New York Times, and I run our presidential coverage.
2: So I want to tell the story, Carolyn, of something that happened this weekend when you and I were in the office. We were here all weekend responding to this really extraordinary tape of Donald Trump caught on video talking about the power he has over women, the fact that in his mind he can grope a woman because of his celebrity and because of his wealth and... They don't really have any choice in the matter. Right. And my assignment, and you gave it to me, was to write about the reaction from the Republican leadership and to kind of answer this important question of why it was different this time, why they couldn't forgive this sin as they had all these other sins in the past. And when the Republicans started to denounce him, they used language like this from Utah Senator Mike Lee. I have a wife. I have a daughter. I have a mother. And I have five sisters, all of whom... I love dearly, it's occurred to me on countless occasions today that if anyone spoke to my wife or my daughter or my mother or any of my five sisters, the way Mr. Trump has spoken to women, I wouldn't hire that person, wouldn't want to be associated with that person. And I certainly don't think I'd feel comfortable hiring that person to be the leader of the free world. So what Mike Lee was saying and how he was saying it was really ringing in my head when you and I sat down and we started to sketch out this story on Saturday. You know, we all have sisters, we all have mothers, we all have daughters. And I was kind of adopting that language and approach when I sat down and started to think about the story because I thought I was being chivalrous, just like these outraged Republicans. You said something to me when we were in your office together and I showed you the first draft that really changed how I thought about the story. I don't remember what it was. It was you saying, if you use those words, you're treating every woman as if she's completely in relation to the men in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's men talking about this tape entirely in relation to our manhood. We are protecting these women who are in need of our defenses. And the women aren't really a part of that conversation. They're, they're objects that we're shielding. There's
4: a sort of bumper sticker uh, that's quite famous, women are people too. And I think a lot of the framing of the reaction sort of took as an assumption that males were sort of the primary subjects, that everyone is male and you have wives and you have sisters and you have mothers. And I think for a lot of women that felt
2: quite anachronistic and outdated and really frustrating. And it was kind of this, it was a jolt. First of all, because I like to think of myself as a pretty sensitive fellow. You're a very sensitive fellow. And... Uh, And
4: we often think about these stories very similarly, I think. But I think the kind of cacophony of all these Republicans and the way that they responded so emphatically and that that was their framing was very much in my head as we approached the story where we were trying to explore a question. Why is this getting the reaction that it is? And if we kind of framed it that way, we'd be kind of reinforcing a very narrow frame of humanity.
2: It just entirely illustrated what a remarkable moment we're experiencing for gender and for politics and for culture, because there's this kind of collision going on, right? We have the first female presidential nominee. We have this tape. And then in response, we have Donald Trump bringing forward this lineup of of women who have accused Bill Clinton of sexual assault. Then we have Donald Trump accusing Hillary of aiding and abetting her husband in those actions. And this kind of awful stew that we saw in the debate of 30 minutes of Democrat and Republican nominee basically saying, no, you're the worst person when it comes to women. So we're going to do something different today. I'm going to hand this episode off to three of my most esteemed colleagues. You, Carolyn, my brilliant and most trusted editor here at The Times, Maggie Haberman, who's reporting on Trump this campaign, has been almost telepathic in its ability to get inside his head, and Maureen Dowd, the Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist at The Times, a historian of the Clintons, and an author of the new book, The Year of Voting Dangerously, The Derangement of American Politics. We'll be right back. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? You're not slowing down, so your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a golf plan. Lincoln Financial has the products to help protect and grow your financial future. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National
0: Corporation and its insurance companies and broker-dealer affiliate. Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good, but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app.
4: From the New York Times, this is The Run-Up. I'm Carolyn Ryan. Let's start with the tapes.
3: Whoa!
0: Whoa. Yes! Whoa! <laughs> yes, the Donald has scored! Is will be happy.
3: Yeah, that's right, with the gold i got to use some Tic Tacs just in case they start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. I just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything.
0: Whatever you want.
3: Grab them by the pussy. I can do anything.
1: Maggie, I just want to hear your reaction when you saw that tape. When women I know saw the tape, and certainly when I saw the tape... This was very different than what Trump is dismissing as locker room banter, which is what we heard on the Howard Stern show when he was saying sort of gross uh, and and, you know, sort of perverse things. this This left me cold because it sounded like the language of assault. That was um very, very jarring to hear, because while I think that most of us, you know, certainly those of us who have brothers or who have male friends know that, you know, men can be gross in their language and graphic. Um, women can also be gross in their language and graphic. That's not what this was. This was just there was a there was a violence uh, about what he was describing. And I think that for some men writing about it, what was lost for them is seeing what it was like to be the woman standing outside the bus as Trump is inside the bus having this conversation and it's unbeknownst to her she's just standing outside and it's all taking place about her and it's about to sort of the door is about to open and and the situation is about to entirely change and it presents a certain menacing
3: feeling. Hello. How are you? Hi. Hi Mr. Trump. How nice are you? Seeing you. you. Terrific. Nice to meet you. Terrific. You know Billy Bush. Hello. How are you? Nice to see you. How are you doing, are you Ariane? I'm doing very well, thank you. Are you ready to be a soap star? We're ready. Let's go. Make me right. Marine, a Maureen, you've
4: star. written brilliantly about the intersection of sex and culture and politics. Donald Trump has described what's on the tape as locker room banter. Do you think that Americans are accepting that?
5: Uh, Carolyn, it was interesting because I watched the debate last night with my sister who uh, has been jumping on and off the Trump train because she can't vote for Hillary, even though they're both former Goldwater girls. And uh, after the Alicia Machado week-long meltdown, she decided Trump belonged in St. Elizabeth's, which is (laughs) a mental institution in D.C. that our parents used to scare us with when we were little. (laughs) But anyway, she came over last night, and by the end of the night, she said, I could see him as president. (laughs) So... What is Peggy
4: Dowd's single she issue? She
5: thought she she inter- you know a lot of my girlfriends say that's disgusting. The phrase locker room talk is disgusting because there shouldn't be a safe zone for any men to talk like that ever. And but my sister was like she's a, she was saying she's a jock and she has a lot of guys who are jocks and she understands what Trump means. But most insightfully, she said that what that tells her is that somewhere along the line. Trump got really mixed up and that he's his confidence level is very low. And so he's always overcompensating, and she thinks it's just bragging and boasting and was trying to act like the guy with Billy Bush. And in a way, she is backed up by the fact that when they get off the bus, Trump is very sort of polite and almost shy with the soap opera actress. And Billy Bush is saying, why don't you hug Trump? And why don't you hug me? And which of us would you rather date? And all these kind of sleazy things. And Trump... Is holding oh, back. Okay, is Have
0: absolutely. a little hug for the Donald? He just got off the bush. Like
5: okay, hug, absolutely. <laughs> Melania little said little this the was bushy. Yeah,
0: okay. I just got off the bush. Push push we go. You know,
5: he's not doing any of that stuff. Not to defend him, I'm just saying from my sister's point of view, right. she sees it more as this, you know, overcompensation. And as she says, she's been waiting for him to grow up and he never really seems to grow up. I think that's going to be a long wait.
4: Well, Maggie, you um, you did a beautiful story over the weekend, kind of looking at what was going on in the middle of this crisis inside Trump Tower and the people Trump was talking to. What is your sense sort of psychologically how he is absorbing this crisis, but also what is going on
1: with him inside? We just did a story that posted a little bit ago about Trump voters who are very upset with Republican senators who disavowed him over this tape, especially people like McCain, who were very clear that they considered this assault. Kelly Ayotte, New Hampshire, who, who was very condemnatory about the remarks. These voters basically made the same point that Maureen's sister did, which was this is locker room banter. This is the way people talk. Now, he was pressed on that by Anderson Cooper, who you know was very clear. Do you understand, sir, that this is sexual?
3: You called what you said locker room banter. You described kissing women without consent, grabbing their genitals. That is sexual assault. You bragged that you have sexually assaulted women. Do you understand that? No, I didn't say that at all. I don't think you understood what was said. This was locker room talk. Just for the record, though, are you saying that what you said on that bus 11 years ago that you did not actually kiss women without consent or grope women without consent. I have great respect for women. Uh, So for the record, you're saying you never did that.
1: Finally, Cooper pinned him down in the debate on did you ever assault anyone? And Trump said, no, I did not. Have you ever done done those
3: things? have respect for me. And I will tell you, no, I have not.
1: That would go to Maureen's sister's point that, you know, this was bragging or boasting or seeing himself a certain way, which may be true because Trump often sort of exaggerates to blend in with whatever scene is around him and he thinks he needs to be a part of and however he's going to sell himself. And he often doesn't realize when he is saying something that he shouldn't. But I think that's where you saw a big disconnect in this debate. And it's where there was a disconnect for him when he was holed up in his tower, uh, as we wrote about this weekend, surrounded by advisors, He kept saying, I apologized in that videotaped statement uh, that was criticized by some as a hostage video that was you know, praised by his advisors as he said the words, I'm sorry for the first time. He's never said that in this campaign. And that is really true. He's never said it without an I'm sorry if. This time it was an an unqualified. But he did then pivot to talking about Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and so forth. But in his mind, he felt like, see, the reaction to this is just more proof that whatever I say, they're going to treat me unfairly. And this really isn't about these women or this remark at all.
4: Maureen, to that point, it does feel like this moment has been complicated by the fact that in some ways Hillary Clinton is having to answer for her role during the 90s and before, in terms of standing by her husband when he was accused of both uh, sexual assault and consensual affairs, and whether she in some ways supported the undermining of women during that period. How do you think that has played out? And do you think that has made her more restrained in terms of going after Trump directly on this point?
5: Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to tell you one thing before I answered that, listening to Maggie, that I interviewed Trump, you know, in the summer. And or maybe even it was before that, when some of the Republican primary rivals were saying, you know, chastising him for stuff about women. And he said, all of these guys, when they're standing drunk in a corner at a party, say the same thing. This is before it became about sexual assault, but the more offensive things about women. But that was his response to the earlier, lesser things. But as far as Hillary, again, my sister was interesting on this. Like we were watching the the video with Bill's right. accusers, and my sister was like, "Oh, this is terrible. This will really help Hillary, and it's terrible for her to have to go through it, and everyone's going to feel sympathetic to her." And I thought that was a good point. I mean, it was just so uh, shocking. I don't I don't think I've ever seen anything so shocking in a presidential race in the nine I've covered. That, yeah, I was uh, kind of
4: wondering what you were thinking when you saw them.
5: I, I just found that shocking. And he wanted to put them in, in the family box. It's and, extraordinary. You know, it was it was extraordinary. I do think that Hillary has to answer for the fact that through the years when women Bill had either come on to or been involved with, you know, would for one reason or another go public, she would be involved in kind of smearing them and assenting to private investigators to intimidate them. And that is something she did. Now, everybody has to make their decision about that with her, and it's not except for Trump dragging it in. It's not really an issue this time. Even my Republican sister would say, Bill isn't running. She's running. Although with the Clintons, their relationship is always so entangled. And then that affects the policies and then that affects us. So it's always part of it. But yeah, I mean, she did do that. There's no doubt about that.
4: Maggie and Maureen, do you think that if Bill Clinton's so-called scandals arose today, that given what we know about sort of rape culture about sexual assault victims. How do you think we would respond differently? And I'm also interested in whether you've talked to younger women about this whole thing and how they see it.
1: It's really, it's interesting. Um, I've had a bunch of conversations with women sort of who are older my age. I have a much younger sister her age. They feel more confused by what they're hearing because they didn't Live through impeachment. They weren't really aware of it. They weren't of age the same way. They were maybe ten years old, and so it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. I cannot see how Bill Clinton, if all of that happened today, would survive. Um, and it's really worth remembering that the only uh, a Democratic strategist emailed me to make this point the other day. the The closest analog we have to watching this this wildfire taking place within the Republican leadership of this exodus with Trump and people having to publicly step away from the, the figurehead of the party is impeachment. When you had all of these Democrats who were looking at the 2000 races and who were looking at midterm races and were very, very concerned about the impact this was going to have on the entire party. It was different because Bill Clinton was leaving office, but Al Gore kept him at a distance because he was concerned about how that was all going to impact him. And there was some reaction in terms of the ticket. I think that in terms of Bill Clinton and and the women who were there and brought in by the Trump campaign last night, These are three women who accused him of sexual assault or rape in the case of Juanita Broderick. And that is a distinction that you have seen some Trump advisors urge him to make. He has not made that point very clear clearly. So what ends up happening is it all sounds like he's also blaming her just for the fact that her husband had affairs. And right. he's really not a great messenger for that in general, uh Trump, uh number 1, but number 2, that does tend to be something that a voter is going to hear that a woman voter is going to hear that and say that just sounds Well, you're you know, absolutely right. It's like good. there's
4: a blurring of what was Yeah, potential, and in our collective memory is not all that good about the, the distinct delegation.
1: Yeah, and so I think that is where Trump has sort of gone afield. I do think that Someone like Anita Broderick probably would have gotten uh, more of a hearing from the mainstream media Uh, if that happened now, than I think she did
5: then. Do you agree, Maureen? Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything the brilliant Maggie has said. And, (laughs) you know, I think we all knew this was going to be an epic battle of the sexes, but I don't think we knew how epic because Trump is basically like a guy who wandered out of a steam bath at the Sands (laughs) Casino in Las Vegas in 1959 where he was sitting talking about broads with Frank Sinatra. And then he's kind of like those soldiers who wandered out of the jungle after World War II and like in 1970. And it's kind of, you just feel he's sort of shocked because he was surrounded by so many sycophants and enablers and mute supermodels and daughters who worked for him that nobody kind of told him that people don't talk like this anymore. And so he's, you can see in his eyes, he's, Having a hard time absorbing it. He's like, well, wait a minute. Howard Stern and Billy Bush talk like that. And he doesn't realize at some point all these other guys made a turn. I mean, I think at least once a week, the Times has a story about what a sensitive feminist Howard Stern is, a Hillary Clinton (laughs) voter, you know. But Donald Trump never made the turn. He is in arrested development in the steam bath in Vegas.
1: That's right. I I totally agree. There's this really, um, and I think we talked about this this weekend even, as he was sort of stuck in the gilded tower. Um, with all of this anger swirling within the Republican party and these protesters downstairs and these supporters downstairs on Fifth Avenue th- there is this preserved and amber quality about Trump yes. right? j- in terms of his cultural references in terms of um, his media references I mean he talks about Time magazine more than I've heard anybody talk about time magazine <laughs> Maybe recently
5: preserved in, preserved
1: in <laughs> but but he's not, but he is he is just sort of stuck mentally including his descriptions of New York City you know the inner cities you walk a block and you <laughs> you get shot. Yeah. I live in Crown Heights and it really does not match the description. So there for whatever reason, life is sort of frozen in the 80s and 90s for him and has not quite left it. And that's unfortunate for him because it skips the whole 2000s, which is when he invited the Clintons to his wedding. And when yeah. he was critical of the impeachment process and when he called Paula Jones, who he had there defending last night, who endorsed him, a loser. And he talked about how the that's women right. who Bill Clinton cheated with were unattractive and he and Bill Clinton played golf together. Together. And that's all that is that is not, I don't know if it's going to be mitigating for people, but it is worth taking note of because you have to wonder why he didn't think this was an issue until he right. was running for well, president himself. You know, he,
5: I interviewed him about that and he in June and he was talking about how, you know, he let Bill Clinton into his golf club in Westchester when Bill Clinton was in bad odor. So Trump let him in, and then he would play golf with him, and they would talk about girls and women's bodies and stuff. So, yeah, they are kind of in some ways peas in a pot, although, you know, Clinton obviously is much more cerebral.
1: But, you know, you just hit on something really important, Maureen, about how he felt like he had helped rehab Clinton in some way after Mark Rich, because in Trump's mind, when he feels like he has done someone a favor or helped them with something, he expects some kind of permanent return. Um,
5: Oh, that's really interesting. Well, you know, then to finish, Carolyn, on the other side of the ledger, Hillary basically ran as a man at Mark Penn's instruction in 2008. He sent the memo and said, you know, it's called the father of a country for a reason. And she went ahead and followed that instruction. And then this time she's running very self-consciously as a woman. But in probably what was the biggest shock to her, she didn't, you know, get excitement of women, especially young women who went to Sanders. And so now if you had go to her events, they're like a girl slumber party, you know, with <laughs> Katy Perry music and Lena Dunham there. And that's all kind of phony, too. So on both sides, it's very extreme. And I, I ran into Steve Schmidt, the Republican strategist, right. somewhere, and he was saying, and I agree with it absolutely, that Hillary is beyond gender. I mean, so she doesn't need to run as a man or woman, you know. That's fascinating. Remarkably for the, yeah, remarkably for the first female candidate on a major party ticket, I don't think anyone, even Donald Trump, questions her toughness. That's where you'd think he would be hitting her, but he doesn't because he can't. You know, she is definitely tough enough to be president.
4: Even his, last, uh, his answer to the last question seemed to capture yeah, that in a very genuine exactly. way.
5: You know, usually women candidates get a virtue advantage, they call it, where right. people think they're going to be right. more honest. And that's what she doesn't have. So she sort of flipped it.
1: I think part of the problem uh, for her is I do think she genuinely believes the sexism uh, issue when she talks about it. But I think it, it falls into one of her among her worst problems as a candidate is she cannot stop talking about herself. And this was a problem that Mitt Romney really had mm-hmm. in, in 2012. Obama, does not like talking about himself at all. I mean, Obama talked about himself in sort of broad Mm biographical strokes and he talked about his personal story and it was all very directed and clear with the arc of a journey. Um, Clinton likes to relitigate the past a lot and that has been one of her big problems this cycle and it's one of the reasons that I do think there's been this big debate over did she get rattled? Did she not get rattled last night when these women came in? She absolutely got rattled and who yes. wouldn't get rattled. Her past was yes, materializing in front of her eyes. Um That
5: was like a horror movie. Yeah. I mean and, in, and, in the effect.
1: Right. Right. Uh, and she I
5: can't even imagine what she must have right. been going
1: through. And she and she look and she withstood it. I mean, our colleague Alex Burns described it as like, you know, the nuclear winter, essentially, and she did right. She did stand through it. But yes, I'm sure it was rattling, but I'm sure it was also frustrating because she likes to fight back at every single punch. She's not unlike Trump in this way. She's just yeah. able to hold on to it and not sort of swing back at every smaller critic and every- But she's definitely you know, keeping score yeah, in a similar way. Always. And there's always sort of a notch of of wanting to punch back at whoever said XYZ.
5: Well, you know, that was so interesting about him getting in her space, because two things we've learned about gender, not learned, but that were striking in this campaign were you think of interrupting as a thing that men do to women. But then we saw Tim Kaine kept interrupting Pence. And then you think of, like, getting in the space as something that men do to women because Lazio did it to Hillary and Trump did it to Hillary. But then Al Gore tried to do it to W. To disastrous effect. But I think, you know, my sister kind of liked that when um, (laughs) Trump was following her around. What was going on there? (laughs) That was funny. But to me, that wasn't even about gender because when, you know, the male, the model of masculinity in America is— Like strong, quiet guys like John Wayne Mm -hmm. and Steve McQueen and Clint Eastwood. And what Trump was doing and what Al Gore did previously is like this overcompensation, which makes the viewer think they're not that strong if they have to overcompensate that way. So, but to me, it's like not even about gender again. I think Trump just can't stand it when she's getting any attention. And he can't (laughs) sit still. To be in her frame in the same way that when, if a story breaks about the emails, where he should just step out of the way and see what. Is negative coming out about her. He can't help it. He drags his acme dynamite right into the middle of the stage (laughs) and blows himself up.
1: He has
5: to be the center of attention, even if it's negative attention or even if he's stopping her from getting negative attention.
1: Uh, It's not, it's actually what you just said about this dragging the dynamite. It reminds me of there was this old um, Looney Tunes (laughs) cartoon where Daffy Duck sets himself on fire. Um, as a final trick at a a magic show, and Bugs Bunny says, they loved it, Daffy, they want more.
0: Girls, you'd better hold on to your boyfriends. Swallow the match. It's
3: terrific, Daffy. They loved it. They want more.
1: You see Daffy Duck floating up to heaven saying, I know, but I can only do this trick (laughs) once, and I don't think that that's unlike what we saw uh, yesterday. Trump really can only do this trick once unless he finds a way to sort of surgically address Bill Clinton and complaints of sex assault.
4: I'm interested in what you both thought when Hillary brought up Michelle Obama's phrase, when they go low, we go high, and sort of as this protective shield. And Trump immediately turned it into, well, during the campaign, Michelle Obama, he was essentially saying, she doesn't even like you, as if there was like a Mean Girls Behind Your Back. And I just wonder uh, how you felt about what Trump was doing there in terms of kind of severing the female relationship
3: right on stage. I've gotten to see some of the most vicious commercials I've ever seen of Michelle Obama talking about you, Hillary. So you talk about friend. Go back and take a look at those commercials.
1: I thought it was really risky. I think the thing that we've seen this campaign is that Michelle Obama is the most powerful voice in the Democratic Party right now in terms of looking like the future. I mean, Obama is clearly the present and about to be the past. But Michelle Obama has been enormously strong for Hillary Clinton and if anyone had told us and I'm sure Maureen feels the same way eight years ago that that Michelle Obama who did not like Hillary Clinton at the time um, during that primary race was going to be the person to help sort of pull her over the finish line as she's mired in her own negative numbers I never would have believed it it was an ugly primary in 2007 and 2008 Michelle Obama took a lot of the attacks very very personally um, she takes her family very very seriously but it is very clear that what Michelle Obama is most interested in is preserving her husband's legacy, and it's pretty clear to her that Donald Trump is not going to be uh, the the way to win for her on that. Yeah,
5: I agree with everything Maggie said, and you know what this comes back to? What's Bill up? and Trump on the golf course <laughs> back, you know, through the year Oh, yes. Where, mean she... When Bill was really furious. With the Obamas? Obama usurping you know, the young African-American prince usurping the queen who was supposed to have her coronation, I'm sure in a golf conversation somewhere, Bill talked about not liking the Obamas. And mm-hmm. and Trump has this in in his head. And if it's in his head, it's going to come out. And as <laughs> usual with Trump, there can be a kernel of truth in it. And, you know, it's very interesting because Michelle Obama in 2008 said, this isn't about politics. This race is about our souls. And so then her husband kind of beat the Clinton machine, Mm -hmm. but then he put out the red carpet for the Clinton machine. So I'm sure it's harder for true believers to kind of accept that we're coming back to the Clintons and 1600 Pennsylvania donors in the Lincoln bedroom.
4: Regardless of whether you think Hillary being a woman is a factor? In the election, do you think the situation with the tapes would be playing out differently if Trump were running against a male Democrat?
1: Um, I think probably to an extent, yeah. I mean, but not—it's only, the only analog that I can think of. The last time there was a maelstrom about um, comments that— invoked some kind of sexual violence uh, from a Republican candidate was Todd Akin in the Missouri Senate race in 2012. When he, But his opponent was Claire McCaskill, a woman. Uh, and the, part, the Republican party just shut him down very, very quick. Uh, people just peeled away. Mitt Romney walked away from him very quickly. There was huge concern about the impact that was going to have. That was a Senate candidate. This is now all coming from the top of the ticket down so you can see the waterfall. I think it might be marginally different. I do think that because Trump... Everything is so exaggerated with him. There's no subtext. There's just te- there's just urtext. Er uh, I think that he has made a lot of people more aware of certain uh, gendered views or gendered statements that come up sort of in everyday life, in um, people's jobs, in sort of social situations, than they might have been otherwise. And it's not because of Clinton. It is because of him, because he is sort of, as we described it, this anachronism who is coming at us from a different era. I I think, though, um, even if he were running against a man, I do think this would have some impact because, again, where sort of 2016 is on the culture of sex assault, I just think that it's read so differently, and I think younger voters hear it so differently.
4: My last question, I mean, this is a very difficult thing to determine given the spectacle that this election has become and the way it's stirred up the country emotionally, racially, et cetera. But to what degree do you think gender will ultimately decide the election?
1: Women are not a niche group. They're more than half the electorate. And so They are going to be enormously important in this cycle. Trump is uh, winning with uh, white men overwhelmingly. He is not doing particularly well with white women. He is not doing particularly well with black voters, Hispanic voters, where we know this, but it is suburban, moderate women who he is struggling with the most. And at the end of the day, I think it is going to be critically important, but not so much because Clinton has made overt appeals, but it really is going to be because of sort of a repellent quality uh, that Trump has created.
5: Maureen? You know, everyone is so dismayed by this uh, election, but I think we have to look on the bright side and take it the whole arc of women's history. And it's for centuries. Women were seen as unfit to hold public office, ambition and, and power in and business were the province of men. So now Trump has managed to debunk this because he shows that the gossipy, backbiting, scolding, mercurial, overly emotional, shrewish, menopausal one in the race is not the (laughs) woman. And even watching him last night, Trump is the one who holds his microphone in this dainty way. So I think all of the gender, you know, the old uh, offensive gender stereotypes have been shattered.
4: Well, on that hopeful note, I uh, just wanted to <laughs> <laughs> thank you both. Just a little good side. <laughs> a, a little feel good <laughs> for the afternoon. Uh, very illuminating conversation. and It was terrific. Uh, Maggie Haberman, Maureen Dowd, thank you. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you.
2: That's it for this episode of The Run-Up. I'm Michael Barbaro. I'll see you back here on Friday. I want to thank Carolyn Ryan for stepping in as a guest host, as well as Maureen and Maggie.